time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Hey, it's good to be here. I am so encouraged by your worship. And I am so encouraged to see you go after God like that and pursue Jesus with all your heart on the third day. Going for it makes me happy. Hey, well, I just want to, uh, we're going to jump in in just a minute. Let me just say this real quick. It is an honor to be here. Uh, We have at Jesus Culture for years uh, uh, watched and been inspired and encouraged by what's happening at Desperation. And uh, it's an honor to be invited and come and invest in you. David, really appreciate you extending the invitation. We have definitely, uh, I know that our, uh, how many of you guys were here last year when our band was out here or Kim was out here and and then Kim was out? Uh, We have definitely been encouraged and inspired by what we have heard going on out here, and it has definitely impacted our own ministry, and so it is a real honor to be here, and and David, very much grateful to be able to come and connect Charlie Hall, love him. I I close my eyes, and I'm I'm listening to the CD that I listen to again and again and again. I'm like, I recognize that voice. That's uh, so, so good to be actually in the front row on it. Hey, if you have your Bibles, get them out. We're going to jump right in. we got an afternoon session. you got to get to dinner before tonight, which I'm excited about because I'm going to sit on the front row and soak it all up. But get your Bibles out if you have them. Romans chapter 1, we're going to go there. My wife, uh, just to give you a quick history, I uh, am from Redding, California on staff at Bethel Church. I, uh, we started Jesus Culture a few years ago, and, and now I get to uh, travel around and just invest in a generation uh, I am married. My wife is, uh, is an amazing, amazing woman. Uh, so, so blessed to be able to be married to her. And then we have three kids. I have a 12-year-old girl. Her name is Ellie. Eliana is actually her name. We call her Ellie. She's 12, a little basketball player, dancer. And, uh, and then I have a, a nine-year-old girl named Raya. Her middle name's Rain, after Joel 2, 23 and 24. And then I have a boy. His name's Lake. We named him after John G. Lake, because I think he's going to be a little apostolic healer one day. All of my kids have really prophetic names, because my name is not prophetic at all. And uh, I thought it was for a lot of years. My name, Banning Liebscher. Liebscher is German, and my parents told me growing up that uh, uh, it was German for lover, because Lieb is love. And so I grew up my entire life believing that Liebscher was lover, and I told everybody that especially in high school. And, uh, and then my, my first name, Banny. I went to a Christian school my entire life. Yeah, any Christians? Where's my Christian school peeps? Where's my Christian school homeboys? That's right. Uh, I literally, preschool through college, Christian school kid. And uh, I've taken two secular classes, both junior college, a tennis class and a uh, music class. Other than that, all Christian school. So in sixth grade, my, uh, a lady came in and said, we're going to find out what all your names mean. And we're going to back it up biblically. And I, and I was thinking, well, that's awesome because Leapster's already pretty cool. And so I'd love to find out what Banny means. So she comes back and she says, Banny means, she put it in like a little frame. I mean, she framed this little piece of paper. And she said, Banny means strong warrior, great protector. So sixth grade on, I'm like, 
Dude, that's awesome. My name's incredible. Strong warrior, great protector, lover. And then, I'm about two, three years into marriage. We're about to have our second kid, and I'm looking for baby names. And so I, mean, I, I remember this. I will never forget this moment. It is seared into my brain. I'm at a little bookstore in the mall and one of those circular racks that goes around and I find a baby book name and I pull it out and I'm looking and I find my name. Call my wife over. I'm like, look at this. My name is in here. Finally, I have some proof of really how great my name is. And, and uh, it's Irish. And it doesn't mean strong warrior, great protector. It's Irish and it means small, fair one. You laugh, but I am literally in the bookstore. The world is crumbling around me. I'm like, I've been living a lie. Small, fair one. And, and, I, and I, I really, like my name is Iris for a little dorky kid. And, and I, it, was, it shook me up a little bit. I'm like, oh, this is not happening. So I kind of pulled myself up. I'm like, that's all right. I got leaps are still. I mean, lover's cool. That's still cool. And then I, I am not exaggerating. About two months later, a guy from Germany comes to our church and he's in the back with my friend and my friend says, hey, my, name, my friend Banning, his last name is German, it's Liebscher, it means lover. The guy from Germany goes, he said, no, it doesn't mean lover. And my friend said, well, what does it mean? He said, uh, he said I think it means love handles. <laughs> my, My, you were laughing at my pain. My name went from strong warrior, great protector, lover, to small, fair one, love handles in two months. And I vowed within myself, my kids will never, ever have lame names. So all of them have really cool names that mean some powerful God thing in Hebrew and all that type of stuff. All right, do you have your Bibles out? It is good to be here. We're going to go after it. I got one session with you. I'm going to unload everything I got in the next few minutes. Romans chapter 1. Are you there? Can I see your Bibles? I have heard phenomenal stuff about desperation, and I am assuming we all brought our Bibles to desperation. Let me see Bibles up in the air. Put them up like you love them. Come on. This is the Word of God. We love the Word of God. We're in the Word of God. We devour the Word of God. And a lot of iPhones. I don't even know if those count, but... All right. Romans, it double counts. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Are you there? Just punch somebody next to you if you're there. I heard a preacher say one time, if you didn't bring your Bible, sit next to a Christian and read theirs. I am not sure if that's true. I just heard that. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. I'm going to read this again. Talking about Jesus. Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Father, I'm asking in the moments we have this afternoon on, on this last day of this incredible conference. Father, I'm asking, we, we haven't come just to gather. We haven't come to hear a band. We haven't come to hear preachers. We haven't come just because it's what we do every year. We have come to encounter you. We have come to have you change our lives. God, I'm asking that you would possess our hearts, that you would grip us, God, that we would go back to our cities and our cities and campuses 
families would be saved because of what you deposited and released in our lives this week. And I pray that as we get into the word, God, that you would grip us, that you would possess us. And we love you with all of our heart. Jesus, it is a joy to give our lives fully to you. We love you. I I am here because I believe with all of my heart that God is raising up a generation in the earth that is going to see entire nations saved, that's going to see entire cities saved, and that's going to see entire campuses saved. I, I am possessed with this one thing, that Jesus is raising up a generation that he is going to send into the nations of the earth to see entire nations turn to him, entire cities swept into the kingdom and campuses saved. This is what I believe is going to happen, and I believe that you are part of a generation, that you are a revivalist that is part of a generation that God is going to release in power into the earth. That you have not come to a conference to listen to people you have heard on CDs or people you have seen on the internet. You have come to be empowered to go back into your city, to go back onto your campus to see it saved. And I believe that God is empowering you and that he is raising up a generation that is going to move in power. The mandate on your life, I don't care how old you are, the mandate on your life is to do Romans 1-4. It is to declare Jesus to be the Son of God in the earth. This is our mandate. This is our job. It is to trumpet and scream and yell, Jesus is the Son of God. And the Bible says that we're going to do it with power. I tell you, I have, in, I have been in full-time youth ministry since I was 19 years old. I'm 35. And in those years of ministry, what we are seeing right now is unprecedented. The power that is being released on a generation is, is incredible. We were just in Cleveland last year, and while we were there, we were actually in this, having a conference, uh, one of our Jesus Culture Conferences, in this big Masonic temple thing. It was awesome. God was showing up and we send everybody on the streets in the conference and they go out in the streets and they lay hands on the sick and they see people get saved and prophesy over people. And One of these girls, she's about a 21, 22-year-old girl. She's just gotten married, a little blonde, little petite thing. She had gone out in the streets and she went back to her hotel that night and when she went back into her hotel, she walked into the lobby and when she walked into the lobby, off of the lobby of the hotel is like a, is like a pool area and there, there was like a family, a family reunion, kind of a, 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 there was an African-American family all out there and swimming and hanging out. But she turns and as she walks into the lobby, she looks over and she sees one of the ladies screaming. Just screaming, my baby, my baby, my baby. And she looks over and she sees some people around a, a little three-year-old boy who is laying just limp, lifeless next to the pool. And there was a man trying to give him CPR. A little three-year-old boy had drowned. They had literally, they were playing and hanging out and somebody saw him on the bottom of the pool. 
And they dove in and they got him and they brought him out and they laid him up on the, on the side and they were trying to give him CPR, but it wasn't working. And, and the mom, as you can imagine, was just in hysterics. And this little, 20, this little 21-year-old blonde-haired white girl is sitting in the lobby and she looks out there and something, she says, she, she, she comes back that night and tells us the story. She's just trembling and she said something just came up in her and said, this is not happening on my watch. And she walked out into the, by the pool area, walks through the people and kneels down next to this boy. She lays her hands on this little three-year-old boy. The paramedics were on their way. They hadn't arrived yet. Nothing was working. She lays her hands on this boy and she says, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death and I command life to come into this child. She prays this and, yeah, she prays this and nothing happens. But all of a sudden she begins to hear the family and they're saying, yes, Jesus, do it, Jesus, come Lord. And she prays again. She just said, "I, I rebuke the spirit of death over this child and I release life in the name of Jesus. And when she prays a second time, the child, one massive heave comes to the child, and, and, and he spits up, and, and he begins to breathe. He comes back to life. She, yeah. The paramedics come. They take him to the hospital. They check him out. He's completely fine. The next day, the mother of this blonde-haired girl that went out there and prayed was down in the lobby, and she overheard the aunt of this three-year-old boy on the phone and the aunt was on the phone, and she, she was saying, I'm telling you, he was dead. No, he was dead. And then some little white girl walked in and laid hands on him. God's releasing power. He's releasing power. I could sit here for the next three, four, five hours and just tell you stories of what he's releasing with power. We had a group in Atlanta... There was a dad there. We were doing a conference in Atlanta. There was a dad there, 47 years old. 17 years earlier, he had been in a parachuting accident. He was, he was a special force, special forces halo jumper, high altitude, low opening. He was jumping from 15,000 feet, you know, full on oxygen mass, the whole thing, jumping from 15,000 feet. He had a partial, uh, he had a malfunction in his parachute, partial opening, was falling way too fast, didn't have control. It hit a tree, bounced down and hit the ground and instantly broke his back in three places. 17 years he'd lived in pain. 17 years he'd had extreme pain, limited mobility, and it formed a massive, like, like huge lump on his spine. We do a workshop on healing at the conference and the dad comes in to get his kids. And when he walks in, this, this dad, 17 years had been in pain from this parachuting accident. Some teenagers see him and they said, hey, do you mind if we pray for you? He said, all right, that'd be fine. They walk up to him, exactly like this, they walk up to him. They lay hands on that massive, you know, that massive lump on his, on his spine. And they just said, we just say in the name of Jesus, be healed. And right in front of their eyes, the lump just goes, stunk, it goes away. And instantly, all of the pain from 17 years... All the pain instantly leaves his body. He has complete mobility and freedom back. He gets up that night and walks up on stage, moving, all this type of stuff, and testifies how the Lord, because some kids walked up to him and laid hands on him, had completely healed him from 17 years of chronic pain. Listen, this is... I could tell you stories about guys getting out of wheelchairs at Target who were completely paralyzed. And it's not just healings, it's encounters. 
There's a, there's a kid in Orange County, Southern California. He's about 16 years old. He'd come to our conferences and he was just stirred. He just said, he just said God, I want to impact the, my world. I want, to, I want to share your love. And so he started doing this thing where he'd, he'd go into like a grocery store, a restaurant. He'd just say, God, which this is bad theology, but God, show me who you love in this room more than anybody else. And the Lord would show him somebody. And then he'd go up and just say, hey, I just want to let you know God loves you. So he had all these great stories, and he comes back to youth group and tells them. And one of his friends, this, this other little 15-year-old boy, comes up to him and says, Man, I so wish I could do that, but I am shy, and I'm introverted. And that's, that'd be scaring me so much. And the 16-year-old kid says, You know what? I'll take you out one time. I'll mentor you. You can come out with me. We'll do it together. So they say, All right. So they go to a local restaurant, Marie Callender's. I don't know if you have. It's like a Denny's kind of. And, and they, they go to this restaurant, and they sit down in this this, this, this kid who's going to take this other kid under his wing says, all right, you ready to do this? We're going to do this. He goes, all right. And so he goes, we're going to pray. You're going to pray and you're going to ask the Lord who he loves in this room. He said, all right. So the kid goes, Jesus, who do you love? And he says, who do you think it is? He goes, I think it's our waitress. He said, all right. So the waitress comes over and waitress puts the menus down. And the boy says, uh, ma'am, we just wanted to let you know that God loves you. This lady instantly turns angry throws the menu down and says who told you to tell me that who put you up to that and told you to tell me that and she storms off the two boys are sitting there you know like <laughs> I'm sure the he's like it kind of works better than this usually the girl comes back lady comes back with bread slams it down and says I'm serious who put you up who told you to tell me that 16 year old kid goes uh, ma'am uh, you know, we're just teenagers. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm sorry if we offended you. We didn't mean to offend you. Like, nobody, like, we're just kids. Nobody told us to tell you this. And we just felt like the Lord told us to tell you. And, and God said this. And, and then the boy stands up and he goes, and I just feel like right now God wants to give you a hug. And he hugs her. <laughs> he hugs her. This lady instantly breaks down weeping. Instantly. Bawling in the restaurant. After this whole moment happens, the boy, the, the boy says, what's going on? She says, I woke up this morning and I said, nobody loves me in this world. And she said, I've got to know, does somebody love me? And then this little 16-year-old boy comes in with his 15-year-old friend who's scared out of his mind. He says, ma'am, God loves you. And she encounters Jesus. Listen, God's raising up a generation and he's going to release them in power. You're part of that generation. Let me tell you how it's got to happen. Romans 1 says this. That Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. See, I believe that God wants to use your life to see your friends saved. I believe that God wants to use your life to see blind eyes open, people get out of wheelchairs, deaf ears open, AIDS healed. Can't. I believe God wants to use you to see entire cities and campuses saved. I believe this with all my heart. I am here today because that's what I believe. But what I know is this, that if you're going to be a revivalist, if you're going to be a generation that sustains impact in the earth, holiness is critical. See, the Lord cares about your foundation. God's going to release you in power. He's going to give you power to see cities saved and campuses impacted. But the foundation of that is something called holiness. And, and don't ever kid yourself. Your foundation matters greatly. 
and the Lord builds in order. I, I am handyman handicapped, but I've never built anything in my life. But I, I know this, that if I built a house, I would not start with the roof. I would start with the foundation. That the foundation matters greatly and that the Lord builds in order. Because what you put in your life at the beginning greatly affects what comes out at the end. You can't throw anything in at the beginning and expect to get a result of power being released in nations. My, uh, my, all of us probably have this story. My mom, you know, all of us have one, you know, maybe many favorite things. But my mom's chocolate chip cookies are the best in America. This is what I believe. And, and I grew up on my mom's chocolate chip cookies. I love my mom's chocolate chip cookies. They're the only cookies I ever want. When I'm over at my mom's house, I'm like, Mom, I need chocolate chip cookies, and I need the dough, and, and this is, I, need the, I need cookies. And so I grew up on these. And so one day I'm 15 years old. I'm at home, and I'm bored, and I was sick at home. And so I called my mom. I said, Mom, I want to make those cookies. How do I make them? She said, well, I mean, there's a, there, you know, there's a recipe if you want. It's up in the cupboard. So I said, all right, can't be that hard. So I go, and I get the recipe, and I lay it out there, and says two cups of flour. So I'm like, all right, two cups of flour. So I'm rummaging through all the cabinets looking for two cups of flour. And, and, and I find a, like a big Tupperware container with a whole bunch of white powdery substance. So I'm like, that's it. Two cups of flour. And, and then I'm like, a, whatever else, sugar and vanilla and uh, an egg. And I stir it all up, put in the ch- chocolate chips. I put them in little balls and then I put them in the oven. And I wait however long, 15 minutes. And they come back out, but they don't look like my mom's cookies. Like my mom's cookies are round and fluffy and golden brown and tender. These were really, really thin, flat, dark brown, crispy, and I took a bite, really salty. And, uh, and, and so my mom comes home, and I'm like, Mom, I made your cookies, and your recipe doesn't work. She's like, what are you talking about? My recipe doesn't work. My recipe, that recipe's been in my family for 20 years. It works. And I'm like, it doesn't work. And uh, I said, mom, I followed it to the T. It doesn't work. She goes, well, show me what you did. I said, two cups of flour. This isn't that complicated. I said, I walked over. I got out your flour. I put two cups of flour. And she said, Banny, that's not flour. She said, that's baking soda. Looked like flour. (laughs) Listen, you can't throw anything in in your foundation and expect to get the result you want. Like I'm calling a whole generation to go into nations with power, but you know what I realize? Your foundation, the foundational years you are in right now had better be a life embracing holiness you can't get the result of sustained impact on nations with power and campuses without according to the spirit of holiness now here's the problem when I speak on holiness I grew up in the church I mean I was saved at four baptized at five swam out to the pastor stood on a little milk carton and got and got baptized And I heard about holiness, but it was one of those things that was confusing. It felt impossible. We skipped those verses. Be holy as I am holy. Okay, well, that's just flat out impossible. Skip. And we just, it was just overwhelming. I didn't even know what they were talking about. But you're called to embrace a life of holiness. You want to know what holiness is? It's not that complicated. You want to know what holiness is? Anytime you see the word holy, 
Consecration or sanctification, they all mean the same thing, set apart. Holiness means set apart. Simply put, holiness means my life is 100% his. Holiness means 100%. The reason why God is holy is because he is completely set apart. He's completely set apart from sin. He's completely set apart from sickness. He is completely set apart. And then he calls you to be holy. Holiness is my life is 100% his. Holiness is what? Is not what you don't do. You are not holy because you don't listen to music with cuss words. You are not holy because you don't smoke. You are not holy because you're not having sex. You are not holy because you don't do drugs. That doesn't make you holy. You want to know what makes you holy? Being set apart. Part of the problem is, is, is we've had a concept. Holiness is, there's kind of, uh, holiness is I'm separated from sin so that my life may be completely given to God. Right? The problem is, is that many of us keep coming to the altar week after week after week to separate from sin, not understanding that's a great first step, but the next step is my life is completely his. I laugh sometimes because, you know, tithing, the concept of tithing 10%, you give 10% of your income to the Lord. I, I chuckle because people have a problem with tithing. And I just laugh and I just think, you're adorable. You're adorable that you have a problem with tithing. And you know what's cute about that? You think God only wants 10% of your money. <laughs> People have a problem with tithing. Like, oh, I just don't know if I can give 10%. I'm like, are you missing the whole point? God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants all of your money. He wants 100% of your money. And then he says, I want you to give 10% to the church. And you know what else? He doesn't want 10% of your friends. He wants all of your friends. He doesn't want 10% of your music. He wants all of your music. He doesn't want 10% of your energy. He wants all of your energy. He doesn't want 10% of your time and your talents. He wants it all. Can you imagine the Lord coming and saying, hey, listen, man, that'd be great if maybe you could just give me 10% of your income. I mean... I gave 10% of my son on the cross, and if you could just do 10% back, that'd be awesome. Hey, trust me on this. He doesn't want 10%. He wants everything you got. Listen, I got one session. I don't want to go all hardcore on you, but listen to me. Listen to me on this. It is an absolute truth that salvation is a free gift. It is also absolutely true that it will cost you your entire life. We, like, we don't come to God. Listen to this. Can I show you this? See, when you come to Jesus, you got to count the cost. Listen to this verse. Can I show you this? Go to Luke chapter 14. Are you with me? Luke chapter 14. Listen, David can fix anything I mess up this session. He will get up tonight and fix it all. 
Luke chapter 14, this is this. I mean, Jesus, let me give you this, let, let me tell you this. Following Jesus is the most hardcore thing you will ever do in your entire life. You read the Gospels, and Jesus was constantly making it easy to leave and hard to stay. He'd gather 15,000, and then he'd get up in a Jewish culture and say the most offensive thing possible. He'd say, hey, listen, if you want to have a part of me, uh, you're going to have to drink my blood, and you're going to have to eat my flesh. And he didn't, like, he didn't explain it. He didn't go, no, 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 listen. It's a metaphor. It, it, it actually means a saltine cracker and some grape juice. No, no, he just got up and said, hey, if you want to have a part of me, you have to drink my blood and you have to eat my flesh. And, and, you, and, and they're just like, okay, that's disgusting. And seriously weird, and like, it was awesome, that guy's ears being opened, wow, and that guy getting up off the mat, and Jesus, man, I was with you on that, but this whole drink, my, that's too much, I got, I got, I'm going to split. And they'd all leave, and then he turned to his disciples and be like, are you guys leaving too? I mean, you know they're like, seriously, Jesus, we'd like to, because that's freaking us out. but we know that you have the words of life where there's nowhere else we can go. And then I'm confident one of them is like, and Jesus, here's the deal. Like, I really think we could keep crowds around. If you could just tone down the whole eat my flesh, drink my blood stuff, just, just take that down a notch or two. I really think that would help us. It's hardcore to follow Jesus. It'll cost you your entire life. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him. Okay, here's a picture, right? Great multitudes. They're just surrounding Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be known as my disciple. Okay, that's crazy enough. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be known as my disciple. Listen to this. For which of you intend to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? And then he goes on to say, because you don't want to get halfway through the tower and realize you don't have enough money and you're embarrassed. Or how many of you would not count your troops before you go to war to make sure you don't get out there and have to, you know, call peace? And then he says this at the end. So likewise, he said you have to count the cost. You know what the cost is? So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Listen, I'm not making this up. It is a free gift of salvation, but listen to me. It will cost you your entire life. If you think you can come to God and say, all consuming fire come, and think that he's a partially consuming fire, that God just wants parts of your life, you come, you bring him everything, and you count the cost. See, the problem is we come and we barter with God. We barter with God. I remember, we, you know, we used to go down to Tijuana all the time to do missions trips. And when you go down to Tijuana in Mexico, there's a street called Revolution Street. And it has all these, like, vendors. And they're all out there. And 
And, uh, and, you know, you can get like fake Oakleys and sombreros and ponchos and fake Nikes. And, and then one of my friends comes. Actually, uh, uh, Charlie was talking about uh, Brian Johnson. He comes to me. We're, we, we grew up together. And he, and he said, he said, Banning, dude, I got a Rolex. And I'm like, dude, that's, it says Rolex on it. That's awesome. He goes, I got a Rolex. The dude wanted $10, talked him down to 5 Boom! Until about five days later, the hands stopped working, the diamonds were falling off, the band broke. It wasn't worth anything. You want to know why it wasn't worth anything? Because it didn't cost him anything. You, you want to know what a Rolex? You're going to start at three thousand. You know, you got to drop three thousand dollars to start low end Rolex. See, here's what happens: we come to God. Here's my concern. If your Christianity hasn't cost you anything, it's probably not worth anything. I get very concerned with the generation whose Christianity hasn't cost them anything. Does that sound harsh? We come to God and we say, God, here's my life. And he goes, I'd like your music. My music? Eminem just came out with a new album. I got the deluxe version. That's $13. God, Eminem's my homeboy. He comes up and says, God, here's my life. He says, I'd like your boyfriend. My, my boyfriend. But I love him. We are going to get married. We come, we start bartering with the Lord. He comes and he says, I want everything you have. Listen, 17 years old, I grew up in the church. I responded to an altar call for a message. I knelt down. No lightning bolts, no goosebumps, no angels showing up. I knelt down. And I said, God, if I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to do it 100%. And the Lord possessed my life. And you know what happened? I lost all of my friends. And all of my music. I remember, I, I remember the day that I went in my room. And I'm not even telling you to get rid of your music. I'm telling you to give everything you have to God. I remember the Lord dealing with me on my music. And I remember I gave him everything. I said 100%. And I remember having to go and I got, my, I got a box and I started putting my cassette tapes in there. Boys to men, color me bad, vanilla ice, the greatest rapper of all times, Guns N' Roses and Pearl Jam. I remember taking it, I had Millie Vanilli in there. Blame it on the rain, it was slowly falling, it was in this box. And I, I, I remember walking out, and I threw it all in the trash. Because when I knelt at the altar and said, God, I'll give you everything, I meant it. I'm not telling you to go home and wipe out your iPods now. It's delete, delete, delete. I don't even know how you throw stuff away now. I'm not telling you to give up your girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm saying when you come to God, you know what holiness is? It's that my entire life is given fully 
to God. Everything I have, everything is His. My dreams, my hopes, my desires, my friends, my time, my sports, my entertainment, my resources, all of it is His. He is not asking you for 10% of your money. He wants all of it. All of it. You know what holiness is? Holiness is crossing something called the point of no return. Is there a chair I can have? Holiness is crossing the point of no return. Can I have that chair? Is that all right? Yeah. There's something in life called the point of no return. And we experience it on roller coasters or... But now it's a, it's a complicated chair system. I'm sorry, guys. How many people in New Life does it take to get a chair? <laughs> I got a joke. <laughs> Thank you. You're a stud. Uh, I grew up in Redding, California, where it's really hot. It'll get 110, 115 during the summer. So we grew up just getting in water. We have the largest man-made lake in the nation is in Redding. And we grew up wakeboarding and, 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 and pools and creeks and the whole thing. And one of the things we used to love to do was cliff jump. And, and now listen, I, you, do not go home and tell your parents that I recommended this. So we used to go cliff jumping. And uh, we, we, found all the, we had all these spots. But our favorite spot was this place called Hogsback. And it was, it was a half hour away from where we lived, and then you went about another 20 minutes out this dirt road. And you'd hike down into this canyon. And it was a creek that ran through, and it was a bend in a creek that was about 15 feet deep. And then on each side, it had these, like, rock cliffs. You'd hang out on them. And one side had, had uh, four, uh, you know, had 60-foot cliffs, 40-foot cliffs, 20-foot cliffs, and then the other one had this kind of dome. So we used to go out there all the time and jump and do all this type of stuff. And, and one day this girl goes, one of her girls, I'm a senior in high school, she says, she goes, I really want to go cliff jumping with you guys sometime. And I'm like, that'd be awesome, Amy. Come on, let's do it. So she goes out with us. We got one Saturday and we're down there hanging out. And she gets about, you know, about an hour into the day and she goes, guys, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go jump. And we're like, you go for it, Amy. You can do it. So she gets up there and, and uh, she climbs up this cliff. She gets up there. She's standing. She's got her toes hanging over. We're all swimming down there. And she goes, all right, guys, I'm going to jump. Here I go. Are you ready? And we're like, yeah, we're ready, Amy. Go. She goes, okay, here I come. <laughs> and we're like, you can do it, Amy. Jump. All right, I'm jumping. Here I go. Okay, guys, I don't know what's going on. My legs literally won't move. <laughs> We're like, come on, Amy, you can do it. Come on, it'll be fun. You know, da, da. All right, all right, all right, I'm going to jump. Here we go. All right, I'm going. Are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. All right, I can't move. I don't know what's going on. So we do what every good teenager does. If encouragement doesn't work, mock them. So we said, jump, you big baby. Fine, I'm not a baby. I will jump. Okay, maybe I'm a baby. I do not know what's going on. She stood on this cliff for two hours. 
I'm not exaggerating, two hours and about every 15 minutes. Okay, guys, here I come. Okay, I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. My legs are not connected to my brain right now. She stood for two hours on this cliff until finally she, we just left. Like we said, we're going to leave, Amy. All right, I'm coming. And she just left with us. Do you all know why cliff jumping is so exhilarating, so incredible, so fun? Because there's something called the point of no return. It's a little invisible line right here. Right? Right there. And, and this hasn't crossed it, and this hasn't crossed it, and woo, that hasn't crossed it. You don't actually cross the point of no return until you do this. And the way you know you've crossed the point of no return is because halfway down you can't go, whoa, 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 time out. This is way scarier than I imagined. Can I go back up? That's the only way you know you crossed it. Listen, we got a whole bunch of Christian young people. You know what they're doing? They show up at church every week. Woo-hoo. And they're like, man, God's boring. God's not boring. You're boring. You haven't jumped. Like, listen, this is not Christianity. Can you imagine me telling Dean, Dean, Brother, you have got to go cliff jumping with me, man. It is epic. It's the best thing ever. And then I get him up on the 40-foot cliff, and we stand there. I'm like, is this amazing? Huh? Didn't I tell you? (laughs) Woo! Huh? He's like, is this what we do? Well, yeah. Yeah, my toes are hanging over. It's intense. No, 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 listen. This line right here, you know what that line is? That's holiness. Holiness is crossing the point of no return in your life. Where you give a hundred percent of who you are. Nothing held back. No spot in your life withheld from the Lord. Everything's his. Not for your teenage years, for your entire life. My goal today is not that you'd make it through your teenage years. My goal is that in 30 years, you would find me and say, Banning, I am more in love with Jesus than I've ever been in my entire life. I am more on fire for God than I've ever been in my entire life. Signs and wonders are breaking out. I'm a leadership in my church. I'm changing cities. That's my goal. Point of no return. You gotta jump. Listen, this is this is my job. You know what my job is? Whole generation's going, I don't know, should we jump? Should we jump? And I'm like, yeah, you should. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'm nicer, I'm like, boop, sorry. <laughs> this is it. That's holiness. Get that picture. It's not that I don't do this or don't do this. It's that I give my entire life. All of who I am is his. Completely. 
17 years old, I said, God, here's my life, all of it, it's yours. And it cost me something. It cost me something. My friends, it cost me something. You can't come to God and say, God, I was at Desperation Conference and I am so lit up for Jesus. And I go back to my campus, I'm like, whoa, whoa, like, you know, are people going to think I'm a freak? Are they going to think I'm like, you know, a Bible thumper? What's going on here? And like, what? listen, I gave him my reputation. I gave him everything. All of it's his. See, what I've realized is this. Nobody at the end of their life has this. I've never once heard anybody come to me at the end of their life and say, Banning, I just have one regret. One regret. Regret. One regret. Just one thing. Banning, if I could go back over my life and do something different, you know what I'd do different? I'd give less to Jesus. I just wish I could give him less. Man, Banning, you know what my regret is? I just wish I could go back and not give Jesus my teenage years. Man, I just wish I could have lived my teenage years for myself. I just wish I could have partied more and, and slept around more and drank more. If I could have just lived for myself, that's my regret. Man, I wish I wouldn't have given my college years. That is never the regret. You know what the regret always is? Banning, I wish I could have given him more. I wish I wouldn't have wasted my teenage years on myself. I wish I wouldn't have gone through college just about me. I wish I could have given Jesus more of my life. He gave us everything. It, it, listen, we don't, even, we don't talk about the cost much. You want to know why? Because it's silly when you see that you get Jesus in return. You think one day of my life since I was 17, I thought, man, man, this is like, that cost is, listen, I get Jesus. I get Jesus. I've never once regretted a moment of it. But you know what you got to do? You know what my challenge is for you today? You have to say yes to a life of holiness. This is very important to understand. You have to say yes to a life of holiness. See, the Lord calls you. He says he, he calls you. He says, will you give me your entire life? Will you give me, will you embrace a life of holiness? And then you've got to stand up and you have to say yes. You want to know a verse just always messed me up? There's a, Matthew twenty two fourteen. Jesus says this in a few places, but Matthew twenty two fourteen. Jesus says this, many are called, but few are chosen. Man, that verse used to, I hated that verse. I'd be like, God, I don't, why? I don't get it. How are some called, but only a few are chosen? Like, God, I don't just want to be one of the called. I want to be one of the chosen. But how do I know if I'm chosen? How do I know if I'm in the called category or the chosen category? Because I want to be chosen, not just called. And it just, I always just spun me out. Until one day I went back and I read that, that verse in context. It's about a king inviting people to his son's wedding. And the whole first phase of people turn him down. And then he invites them again in the second phase. The second phase comes. They say yes when he invites them. You know what I hate in life? You know what I hate? I hate moving. I hate actually physically moving houses. I hate, I hate packing boxes. I hate picking up big furniture. I hate doing it in the middle of the summer. I hate bumping my knuckles. I hate moving. But you know what I hate more than moving? I hate helping other people move. But the problem is, is the true sign of friendship. The true sign of friendship 
is whoever helps you show, whoever shows up to help you move. You could tell, I'm telling you right now, you want to know who your friends are, move a house and see who shows up to help. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because pretty much, I hate it because they're like, listen, can you come over and, and uh, uh, give up your entire Saturday, move a whole bunch of awkward furniture in the middle of the heat, and I'll throw in a few pizza slices as a thank you. And then they call them like moving parties, which doesn't make it any better. Like, hey, we're having a moving party on Saturday, Yen. Wow, a party? That's awesome. Yes. I hate helping other people move. So if you can imagine, David's going to be moving, and he comes, and there's a group of us there as friends, and he comes up, he says, hey, guys, uh, listen, I'm moving on Saturday. Can anybody help me? And immediately we're all like, oh, my gosh, don't make eye contact. Oh, my gosh, don't make eye contact with David. He is looking, um, I know something, I have something. I, I know I have something. And then there's a guy who's like, yeah, David, I'll help you. And then David says, well, then I choose you. Listen, do you want to know how you get chosen? Jesus shows up to a conference just like this. And he says, I'm looking for leaders in a generation. He says, I'm looking for those that I can send with power into their generation. But I'm looking for those who will embrace a lifestyle of holiness who will give me everything. And immediately everybody's like, oh my gosh, don't make eye contact with Jesus. And you're like, seriously, dude, if you, if you give him everything, yeah, you might lose your friends. Yeah, I know, I know. He, listen, seriously, yeah, Jay-Z, Rihanna, they may go away. Just don't, don't look at him. And then there's a handful of crazy people that say, Jesus, I'll embrace a lifestyle of holiness. And he says, well, then I choose you. You want to know, listen. You want to know why many are called but few are chosen? Because there's only a few that say yes. Listen, we're not here to, to pat you on the back and make you feel better and to get back. I'm here to get you to say yes. I'm here to get you to say, God, everything in me says yes. I'm going to give everything to you 100% of my life. I won't hold anything back. And this is holiness marking my life. Many are called, but few are chosen. This is, this is what the Lord will do. Listen to this verse. John chapter 16. There's a story where Jesus, it's, it's a feeding of the 5,000, but there's probably more like 15,000 in attendance. And he looks out, he sees this multitude of people, and he says, I want to feed them. So he turns to his disciples, he says, give me, you know, let's feed them. And they're like, well, how can we feed them? And they go and they find, and they, they find this, they find this boy and this is the verse, John 16, verse 9. Andrew says this to Jesus. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? This boy comes. And you know what he's got? 15,000 people Jesus wants to feed. And one small boy comes up. And he's got five barley loaves. And the Bible says two small fish. And he comes and he brings it to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, this is what I have. This is what I have. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus takes the fish and he takes the loaves. He multiplies it and he feeds the multitudes. You all know what's interesting about that story? The miracle of multiplying of food is a phenomenal miracle. 
But it would not, but Jesus easily could have taken one of the fish and one of the loaves from the boy, multiplied that, and given it. But he didn't. You know what he did? He took both fish and all of the loaves. See, this is why I want to get you to say yes. And this is what I did in my own life. At 17, I came before the Lord. And, and I said, God, I have, I have no idea how you could use my life. I mean, I look at my life, and, and, and I don't have much. I, got, I don't come from a great pedigree. I, I don't, I, you know, my, my family uh, was pretty dysfunctional, and, and I, I don't have really much. But, but what I have is I've got two small fish, and I've got five barley loaves, and that's my life. And, and, and I'll give it to you if you want it. And Jesus looks at us, and he says, it is enough, but I want all of it. He requires all of it. But the incredible thing is, he takes your life when you give him all of it. He takes your life and he multiplies it and he impacts an entire generation. I'm telling you right now, I'm standing here today because at 17 years old, I said, God, here's my life. And I meant it. I said, you can have all of it. And I I can't even fathom how you would impact multitudes through my two small fish and five loaves. But if this is what you want, I'll give it to you. See, what I believe is coming out of this conference, if you'll truly stand before God and say, God, I say yes, and I give you my five loaves, I give you my two fish, I believe God will take your life, he will multiply it, and he will impact your generation for revival. I believe you can go back to your school and see your school impacted. I believe you can go back and see your friends say, I believe that, that nations of the earth can be affected and changed and transformed because you decided to say yes at a conference. This is holiness. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, our mandate with power, what he's going to release on us, according to the spirit of holiness. It's a generation that says yes to holiness that gets to see nations turn to him. It's a generation that says yes to holiness that gets to see power released on campuses. It's a generation that says yes to holiness that gets to step into revival. Giving yourself fully. I want you to close your eyes. Just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus right now. Jesus makes it very clear. If you're going to follow me, you've got to count the cost. If you're willing to forsake everything, give me everything. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want you to say yes to Jesus this afternoon. I want you to say yes to him. I said yes at 17. I've said yes every day since. I knelt down yesterday and I said, God, I said it at 17. I'll say it again. I give you everything I have. My entire life is yours. I want to see you glorified in the earth. But right now, every every head bowed, every eyes closed, I, I want you right now to honestly get before God and say, God, I want you to count this cost, understanding that when you give him your life, it means you give him your life. 
We are not here today with bar- to barter with God. We are not here today to negotiate God down to the lowest price we can get him. We are here to say, God, here's my entire life. Not one piece negotiated. It's all yours. I believe that power will begin to be released to see cities and campuses one to the Lord if you'll say yes to this. But you've got to count the cost on this. And I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And I'm going to ask you to out loud say yes if this is you. But I want you to count the cost. I don't want you to stand because everybody else is standing. I don't want you to stand because you feel pressure. I want you to stand because you have said, God, I want you to mark my life. I want you to mark my life. Some of you, you're going after God, but there's still areas that you just are not allowing the Lord to touch. You're not fully allowing him to take. But it's time that you give him all your five loaves, all your two fish, and sit back and watch what he'll do with your life. This afternoon, before we release you to dinner, we'll worship in just a minute. If in your heart, you're saying, Banning, I, I want to say yes. I want to be chosen by God to demonstrate him in the earth with power. And I want to say yes to a life of holiness. I want you to stand up and I want you to say yes. I want you to stand up and I want you to out loud say it. I want you to say it. Come on. I want every hand lifted in this place. Father, we come and we present ourselves to you. Father, we come and we present ourselves fully to you. God, I'm asking that a generation in this room would lead America in revival. I'm asking that they would go back to their campuses and they would lead their campuses in revival. I'm asking that they would go back to their cities and lead their cities in revival. God, we give you our life fully. I want you out loud. I want you to pray out loud right now. And I just want you to, in your own words, tell the Lord, Jesus, I give you everything. God, my entire life is yours. At 17 years old, I said, God, 100% is yours. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. This is a choice we make. It is not a feeling we have. It is a choice we make. Come on, I want you right now. You and Jesus to say, God, I give you everything. Everything in my life is yours. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.